I mean, let's be honest, who, who makes up all these rules anyway, right? I mean, especially in sports, we'll argue about how the game is supposed to be played, you know, and we'll kind of get into it with, oh, this is a catch or this isn't a catch. But really, we've just been making all this stuff up as we go. As the years have progressed, I mean, football, why do we even call it football anymore? Most of us probably don't even know the origin of the name and why we still call something that has nothing to do with the foot hardly ever and probably shouldn't at all, why we still call it football, right? It just doesn't make sense. Well, it's because we've been making it up as we go. Like, we just have these arbitrary rules. One of the best commentaries ever, I think, on this comes from Bill Watterson. Some of you remember Bill Watterson because he wrote and draw, drew the uh, comic Calvin and Hobbes. You guys remember that? And in Calvin and Hobbes, anybody, like, I have all the books and all that kind of stuff. Anybody else like Calvin and Hobbes? Okay, all right. One of the best things, one of the best things ever, I was talking with uh, Glenn in the back, and we were talking about, I think it's been like 23 years or something like that since they last ran. But they're amazing. They're still Uh, They're still powerful. You should read. Okay. All right. Uh, They're great. But one of the things that uh, Calvin loves to play is Calvin ball. And some of you may remember that. But he tried to play baseball at school. It didn't go very well. So he decided with his imaginary stuffed animal friend Hobbs to make up a game called Calvin ball. Uh, The only rules to Calvin ball are that there are no rules other than it can't be played the same way twice. All right, and you have to wear a mask when you play. And I've got a ca- cartoon there for you. But here, Calvin actually comes up with the Calvin Ball song, and this kind of explains to you what, uh, what he's thinking when he comes up with this. Other kids' games are all such a bore. They've got to have rules, and they've got to keep score. Calvin Ball is better by far. It's never the same. It's always bizarre. You don't need a team or a referee. You know that it's great because it's named after me. That sounds like a great game to play. It's something I might want to come up with with myself. And I think Watterson's commentary on artificial constraints and expectations and all the kinds of things that we put on kids and stuff, like I get it and it makes sense and that kind of thing. But, But I also think that he's made some commentary that maybe he didn't expect either, that there's a flip side of the coin here that's represented by the last line of that poem. You know that it's great because it's named after me. Because here's the thing. When it comes to rules and how we live our lives, the things that we put in place to put us in the direction that we want to go, culturally speaking, the way that life has kind of devolved over the years is that the best source of guidance for our lives to go where we want to go should come from us. Like that's where, generally speaking, most people think like the direction of my life, the quality of my life, the, the way that I want to go and live my life, like it should come from within. Uh, more specifically, might say something along the lines of what makes something good and worth pursuing in my life comes from within my heart. And if I pursue that, then I'll find true happiness. And the way that we've kind of explored that culturally over the last several decades is we've kind of just decided to not deny ourselves of anything. And so whatever kind of feeling that we have, whatever kind of thing that we see is like, hey, I want to try that out. Hey, I want to experience this in my life. This is what I pursue. We've just kind of given ourselves permission to just do kind of whatever, culturally speaking. It's like, let's let's try all these kinds of different things in our lives and see if this is something that's going to make us happy in, in our lives. But what we've discovered, I think, is a culture that maybe we're not willing yet to uh, admit yet, even though we're more anxious than ever, we're more stressed than ever, we're experiencing more depression than ever, is that we don't actually end up being all that happy when all we do is experience whatever we want to experience. 
that the truth is found more in this, that the freedom to experience a joyful life is actually found in constraint in our lives. And so the sermon series, we're calling it Guardrails because, and I, I think, I think this, there's an opportunity here for what we talk about in the sermon series to be life-altering for you if you capture this truth that the freedom to experience a joyful life is found in constraint. Um, I, I think it's something that if you set your life on and understand uh, how God has directed how we're supposed to experience life with him, it's something that will actually lead you to a path to experience the life that he has put you on this earth for. Understand that freedom and constraint sounds like a contradiction in terms, and I want you to think about what guardrails actually do along the road. Guardrail, a guardrail as defined, is a railing guarding usually against danger, especially a barrier placed along the edge of a highway at dangerous points. Guardrails are designed to keep you free to move along your path. To go move along the safe parts while protecting you from serious or fatal harm should an unplanned event happen. Guardrails absolutely, they absolutely restrict your freedom. They, they do. But if you're in a situation like this, which is an actual road. You know you can look up world's most dangerous roads, and a lot of them are like this. And can you imagine like a car coming along the other side, and you're trying to, trying to go and maneuver and that kind of thing? You're going to wish you had a guardrail in that situation. Guardrails keep you free. They restrict you, but they also keep you free from going off the side of the cliff or running off a bridge or going into a tree. And while we don't plan on having to use them when we need them, we'll be glad that they're there. And so I just, I just want to read a, a quick passage of Scripture, just kind of help us to understand, like, what the Bible has to say about this and what this looks like when we start to put guardrails in place in our life. Paul writes to fellow Christians in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, he says, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so when Paul says, hey, live as wise and not as unwise, here's the difference between wise people and unwise people in life. Wise people use guardrails, and unwise people use guidelines. Now, guidelines sound good at the beginning, but guidelines are also the things that we put in place so that we can intentionally make mistakes in our life. That's, that's, what, we, that's what we choose to put in place. And I, there are a couple observations that a preacher made that I thought were brilliant, so I want to share a couple of those with you. So here's some cultural guidelines that we put in place. You've ever heard the phrase, drink responsibly? Like if you watch football and see a beer ad, that's going to be probably on like 90% of those. There's that phrase on the, on the backside of that. You ever notice how they don't define what drink responsibly means? Like you notice how they just kind of leave. Do you know why? Because they don't care if you drink responsibly or not. They want you to buy their beer. <laughs> They're trying to make money off of you. That's, like, that's the deal there. Like, for example, drink responsibly. Like, let's define that. If you've ever said to someone, hey, hold my beer, watch this. <laughs> You're not drinking responsibly. I'm just, I'm just going to, like, if you've ever said that, you shouldn't be drinking. I mean, that, so, so there's a definition for you. There's a guardrail there for your life. Or you ever noticed, like, when we talk about intimate relationships, and so culturally speaking, we'll say something along the lines of, well, wait until you're ready. You ever told that to a guy? Like, do you, like, that's a horrible guideline to give. Because, I mean, well, okay, you guys get the picture. Or if you ever said someone to yourself, if you ever had to say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to treat myself, I deserve this, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend, you know, I might not have the money, but I'm still going to buy it anyway. If you have to tell yourself and convince yourself that you deserve it, 
here's a guardrail for you. You don't deserve it. All right? So th there you go. There's guidelines are those things, like I said earlier, that we come up with so we can make mistakes when we choose to make them. Problem is, that's precisely why we need guardrails in our lives. Guardrails are for the moments when we feel invincible, when we feel that nothing this right that feels this right could possibly be wrong. Heed of the moment decisions that we make that lead to life-changing actions. It's why we need them. The difference between rails and lines. Rails are meant to keep us from something. Lines are meant to be crossed. In living life long enough, we can all think of key areas in our life where we've crossed lines where we should have had a rail up. But here's the thing, this is not about bringing up regrets in our life, but it is about learning from those moments, learning from those mistakes to understand why we need to be purposeful about guardrails. Guardrails are the decisions that we make before we need to make them. It's the commitment to ourselves that say, hey, before I'm confronted with this situation, before I'm placed in this position, I've already predetermined the decision I'm going to make because I know that this is the limit, the safe zone in my life. That's how to live wisely. It's how to make the most of every opportunity in your life, and it's how to live out God's will for our lives. And so the question then becomes, where do we need the guardrails in our lives? And the areas that are the most important for all of us are found in Proverbs, a book of wisdom in the Old Testament. And so I just w want to read a short uh, section of that from Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27. So here's the, uh, right here in the middle is the most important guardrail we can put up in our life. My son, here's uh, what Solomon writes in Proverbs 4, My son, pay attention to what I say, turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight, keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet, and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Right there in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, and maybe this is a verse that you can write down and just make a note card of, tape it to your mirror to remind yourself of this. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. This is the truth. This is the guardrail that you put up in your life, and it will change. It will alter your life for all the right reasons from this point forward as you move uh, forward and deal with any circumstance that you come up uh, event that you come up against. In 1671, English poet John Milton uh, wrote Paradise Regained. You may be more familiar with his first epic poem, Paradise Lost. And Paradise uh, Lost is based on the events of Genesis where sin came into the world. Adam and, Adam and Eve uh, you know, ate the fruit and sin was ushered in, that kind of thing. Uh, anecdotally, a friend was talking to John Milton. He said, hey, you talked about Paradise you know, lost, but that, you know, that doesn't tell the whole story. What about paradise found? Because that's what Jesus does when he comes and he lives his life. He helps us find paradise and regain it again. And so John Milton wrote this poem, Paradise Regained. And one of the most powerful, significant lines uh, from this poetic description of, of Christ's temptation in the desert from Satan, this is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the New Testament, is this. He says, yet he who reigns within himself and rules passions, desires, and fears, is more a king. And what he's pointing out is the same thing that Solomon is pointing out in Proverbs chapter 4, that immediately after he shares 
that, hey, above all else, guard your heart because everything that you do in life flows from that, he immediately gives very specific parameters to his readers about how to guard their hearts. He advises concrete things to do, guardrails to put in place in our life. Watch your mouth, pay attention, watch where you're going, and stay on target. Our hearts need guarding because our hearts are fickle, they're inconsistent, and can lead us to destructive behaviors. Our hearts need guarding because they are carried along by the outpouring of what we allow in. So here's the thing I want you to consider. There are very few things in life that exist to guard your heart. There are very few things in life that are concerned about the status of your well-being in life. Think about the media and entertainment you consume. Think about many of the relationships that you have. What percentage of those things are actually concerned with your well-being and joy? Many of those things, and I'm not saying this is all, even all of these things are evil. Many of these things are just trying to get you to do something they want you to do. They're not concerned about you and your well-being, your happiness, and your joy, and your life with Jesus. Many of these things may interest us, they may thrill us, they may make us feel happy, but they don't necessarily guard our hearts. For example, and, and I just, there may be like a very... Uh, shocked response to this. Okay, so I just want to prepare you emotionally so you don't suck too much oxygen out of the room when I share this. I have a dear friend that I have respect immensely, and one of the guardrails in his life is that he does not watch R-rated movies. I can, I can tell you're stunned. I mean, this is, a, really? Like, you would draw a line there? For, why would you do that? And the only reason is that for him... In his life, he wants to guard his heart. That, that there's not, we don't have to live life with this assumption that just because something can be consumed, that we should consume it. Or just because we can be exposed to something, that we should expose ourselves to it. I'm not saying whether or not you should, write, whether or not you should watch R-rated movies. I'm not making commentary on that. It's whether or not you should put that guardrail up in your life. However, it's not, guardrails are not better about whether or not we can handle something. It's, it's not about, you know, putting arbitrary, you know, limits on our life. It's about knowing who we are and who God has called us to be. And sometimes 90 minutes of entertainment just isn't worth the impact on our heart. What we allow in our hearts is what flows out. And listen, I get, like, part of this, uh, when we talk about guardrails and setting, setting them up in our lives, you know, people sometimes will not understand that. And maybe sometimes you'll feel mocked for it. Uh, maybe you've even set up some guardrails and, and felt that before. And I just want to let you know, enduring mocking is always better than picking up the pieces after you've compromised yourself. It's always better to endure it on the front end than the background, than the back end. Here's how backwards our culture is on this. We wait until after somebody has altered their life irreparably before we celebrate them putting guardrails in, our, in their life. Let, let, me, let me just give you one example of this. For example, the guardrail to choose to be ready to be intimate, like choosing that to be, uh, you know, be ready when you're, when you're married, it's fallen out of favor with a culture that cheapens and over-sexualizes media and entertainment, and yet is shocked that we need the Me Too movement. Let me take this a little bit further. You guys heard of HBO? 
you're probably familiar with some of the content that they've created over the years. Did you know that they've hired the first ever intimacy coordinator? Do you know why? Because actors are reporting just from acting scenes out, not something real happening. They're reporting the same trauma that victims of actual intimacy issues have experienced. And we wonder if that's what's happening to the people who are just pretending, what is that doing to our hearts when we're consuming those types of things? I'm not telling you what kind of guardrails to set up in your life. I'm just letting you know that there are things that exist out there that we put into ourselves that maybe not in a very thoughtful manner about how they're affecting our lives. Most of the influences around us in this life are deconstructing the guardrails that have coexisted alongside the Christian life, the life that God has called us to. And the excuses have been that they're archaic, they're unrealistic, they're unnecessary. You can probably think of, uh, of other examples and descriptors for that. And maybe in the past it's been explained to you, and, and maybe it's not been enough, you know, that there's guardrails, well, they're, they keep you from sin. And so it's like, oh, well, you know, is sin really that big of a deal if you don't believe? What, you know, those, those kinds of things. Or, or that, hey, we're called to produce holy and righteous living, so we need to work for it. And, and not that those are bad motivating factors. I think, they're bo- I think they're both true, and I think they're both something willing to pursue, but it also doesn't tell the whole story. And the rest of the story is this, is that guarding your heart and setting up those guardrails in your life produces God's best life for you. He wants the best for you. He wants you to experience joy. He wants you to experience happiness. That's part of the life that he's designed to share with us. Not a perfect one, not an easy one, but one with purpose, one that connects with our creator, one that creates hope in a future, and one that gives joy. And I, I just want to read to you a description from Paul, one of, the, one of the closest followers of Jesus who shared it with the globe in his day and age. And this is how he describes this kind of life, a guarded life that is set in a very particular direction toward God. And this is what he says in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. He says, My aim is to know Jesus, to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, and to be like him in his death, and so, somehow, to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained this, that is, I have not already been perfected, but I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have attained this. Instead, I am single-minded, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out for the things that are ahead. With this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's an aim, there's a goal set before us, and it's the upward call of God in our lives through Jesus. An eternal heavenly life from the Creator, and that's what the guardrails of this life are for. We're all different people. We all need different guardrails. There's some that you need that I don't. There's some that I need that you don't. There are also guardrails that all of us need. And the thing that's going to guard your heart the most, the, the guardrail that all of us need, that, that's the most important one to put in place, is the truth. Your heart is the most guarded. It is the most healthy. It is the most ready and willing to experience the life God has for you when it is guarded by the truth. A life unguarded by the truth is full of sideways energy. This is what it looks like when you're going down the road with a, a life that's not guarded by the truth. You're just hitting and banging up against the guardrails. This is, this is what you're doing. Because you're constantly having to figure out and discover the limits 
that are there in your life. And sometimes you end up figuring out where you haven't put guardrails, and then you have to discover how far the lies <laughs> that you've been told and that you've accepted in your life, how far off course they take you. A life that's guarded by the truth is one that stays so much straighter on the path and the journey God has for us in our life. And it's to be in life and relationship with him. The joy that he has designed to share with us from the beginning. God wants our hearts to be full and complete. And we live and love his truth to be able to experience that. This is how Psalm, the book of Psalms, uh, begins. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Here's my encouragement to you this week. Here's my, here's my challenge uh, for you as well. Spend some time evaluating how much truth you consume in your life. And what I mean by that is that there's not a problem with, with media and entertainment and relationships and the things that, that we get into. And we're going to talk about a few more things as we go through, through the series. Like there's no, nothing inherently wrong necessarily with those things being in our life. But think about how much truth you consume in your life. Like are you, are you dealing with, with some anger maybe? Or are you dealing with issues of self-worth? Are you dealing with stress, anxiety? Like, at what, at what ratio are you consuming the truth from God's word about who you are, what your identity is, what your purpose is, who you're designed and created to be, and how you set up the parameters of your life to recognize that truth to allow that to guide you? Not who everybody else says you should be and says who you are. Not, not the things that people claim that we should be about but how God has designed us and directed us to experience life with him. How much truth are you allowing into your heart? Because what you're producing in your life is coming from what you're putting into it. So there are guardrails that we can set up for our lives that lead us to the life that God wants us for. There are guardrails that we can set up for our hearts. The most important one is the truth because that is the thing that keeps us centered on the life that God wants for each and every one of us. So my encouragement to you, if, if you're a Christian, is to, is to sit down and say, all right, uh, you know, I'm watching you know, this much TV. How much, how much of God's you know, truth am I putting into place in my life? Just see, see what the ratios are to see how that might be affecting your life. Or maybe for you, maybe it's like, I, I don't know that I'm convinced yet about this whole God thing and following Jesus uh, yet. And maybe that's just the guardrail for you is, say, hey, at some point I'm going to have a conversation with the person that I came up with, maybe it's me, um, and say, hey, I, I, really, I really need to ask some serious pointed questions about what this life that you're describing looks like because it's, it might be a decision I need to make. Because the thing, the thing, the first thing, the first step that takes place is that, is that God changes our heart through Jesus. And so that's the first decision to make is say, hey, I'm going to be guided by God's truth, that I know the way, the truth, and life. I know the Bible claims that that comes through Jesus, and so I need to know who that is. And so it may be asking those questions for the first time. It may be making that first step in that faith journey and saying, hey, I'm ready to believe and I'm ready to be baptized. I'm ready for all the old things to be washed away and to be made new and have a brand new heart uh, to be able to point toward God. 
Uh, if that's you, if any of those things are you, man, let us know. Grab me right after the service. Uh, put it on your Connect card. Send us an email. Whatever. Ask the person next to you. Uh, whatever that is, uh, because we we can we can have a much different life, the life that God has created for us, uh, when we guard our hearts. Let's pray. God, I thank you for um, identifying and sharing truth with us. And God, I, I know that each and every one of us at some point ha- has, has deconstructed that truth in our life because we haven't necessarily been convinced that it applies to us. Uh, and sometimes we suffer the consequences from that. And God, help us to see that you are in the business of renewal and redemption in that. Um, God, that we can, uh, regardless of what have ha- has happened in our past, uh, whatever's going on in our present, that we can, we can continue uh, and we can start now to pursue uh, the truth that you have for us, experience the life that you have designed. Um, God, we thank you for Jesus for making all of that possible. And it's his, in his name we pray. Amen.